Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts for today, Karen and Kathy. Today, we are discussing episodes 47 and 48 of the story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gongluye. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you have any questions or comments on our podcast, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter or else email us at Karen and Kathy at ChasingDramas.com. Today's podcast episode, as we normally do, will consist of a drama episode recap, and then we'll move on to discuss the history portrayed in this episode. And it's quite sporadic in the various types of snippets of history that were discussed. In the last two episodes, Ying Luo had to deal with the rumors swirling around the palace about her and Fu Hong, who recently returned from war that impacted her standing in the eyes of the emperor. We also see a bunch of Fu Hong kind of moping around <laughs> uh, for this relationship. The emperor knew full well that he was the one to stand in between Ying Luo and Fu Hong, and although he didn't say it, was inwardly pretty upset to hear that Ying Luo and Fu Hong might still, or not still, might be having an affair. It all came to a head when Ying Luo set a trap for Xiao Jiapin and to some degree, Chun Guifei, who are the primary instigators of the rumors, which let the emperor know that it was these women in the imperial harem, such as Xiao Jiapin, who was the most interested in causing a scene against Ying Luo. The problem is, though, the trap that was set by Ying Luo also involved Fu Hong's presence, which then led to the emperor giving Ying Luo the cold shoulder. Because even though Ying Luo was framed by Xiao Jiapin, the sight of Ying Luo and Fu Hong together was enough to cause the emperor to be upset. At this point, though, he like doesn't really want to admit why. We turn to episode 47 now. Ying Luo is now feeling the full effects, again, if I might add, of being quote-unquote discarded by the emperor. She's not given the food and coal befitting of her station now as an imperial concubine. Ming Yu is upset on her behalf, but Ying Luo gives some of her thoughts, which I found to be extremely accurate and reflective of what it means to be a woman of the emperor. She says, The emperor doesn't care what kind of woman shares his bed as long as she is able to ease the stress from his work. That's all that matters. That is why, in the palace, all of the individual flowers that were once beautiful ultimately fade away into forgotten faces. Why would the emperor want to be with a woman who makes him unhappy? I think this little paragraph is reflective of the true position of women in the palace during this time. They're not there to be equals to the emperor, and God forbid anyone try to seek love with the emperor. Instead, women are there to help him relieve stress and act as a childbearing entity. <laughs> it's sad, but that's the reality. I think currently in the Imperial Harem, there's two women who understand this fact. One right now is Wei Yingluo, and the other, I think, is the Empress. And see, Yingluo could have been left out in the cold and perhaps forgotten... If only the people who wanted her downtrodden just left her alone. But nope, Chun Guifei shows up to 
humiliates Ying Luo, but actually gives her a great opportunity to resurface back into the emperor's line of sight. Now, I don't know if without Chun Guifei's little request, would Ying Luo not be able to, uh, I guess, capture the emperor's attention again, but it was Chun Guifei who spread all those rumors and wanted Ying Luo to be downtrodden, and now she's the one presenting the opportunity to Ying Luo. So what happens? Chun Guifei requests for Ying Luo to embroider a Buddhist bodhisattva portrait for the Empress Dowager in one month. Ming Yu tries to protest in order to protect Ying Luo's hands, which have been damaged from her time in Xinzhe Ku, but Ying Luo accepts the offer. And then we get a montage of Ying Luo working tirelessly day in and day out to embroider the portrait, while Fu Heng quietly helps Ying Luo by using her new eunuch, Xiao Quanzi, to give her much-needed coal, food, and medicine without her knowledge. After a month, the beautiful embroidery is presented to the Empress Dowager. The Empress Dowager is extremely pleased to see such an intricate work and lavishes compliments on the creator for this beautiful piece. Chun Guifei is like, well, secretly happy that Ying Luo had to suffer, but also is like, oh no, I can't let anybody know that Ying Luo made this piece. She just states that it's the ladies of the embroidery department who finished the piece and totally ignores Ying Luo's contribution. However, the emperor, who is in attendance for this reveal, spotted with his eagle eyes that the hair for the Buddha was sewn with actual hair and a small bloodstain was embroidered onto a design on the forehead of the Buddha. The emperor promptly leaves and his spidey senses tingle as he remembers that she was originally from the embroidery department. No one else in the department would be so meticulous in their work. And I love right now, whenever the emperor's like, she or ta, the eunuch Li Yu is like, wait, which ta? Who are oh, we talking about? that ta. <laughs> well, he wanders over to the training grounds, the emperor that is, where Fu Hong and Hai Lan Cha are currently sparring. The emperor immediately jumps in for a furious battle against Fu Hong. The fight and discussion becomes heated as Fu Hong point blank raises the fact that if it weren't for the emperor's refusal back in the day, the emperor's current Lingping would most likely be his Fu Hong's wife today. He departs with the words that since the emperor already has Lingping, the emperor should treat her better so that he, Fu Hong, doesn't continue to regret why he didn't persist more in the past. Fu Hong walks away while the emperor remembers the late empress's words as to why he tore apart this couple. That was very uh, bold of Fu Hong to do this, I must say so myself. We get a little interlude with He Qin Wang or Prince He, who is the emperor's brother that we haven't seen in a while. He has also returned to the palace and holds a hatred against Ying Luo, whom he believes, quite accurately, that Ying Luo killed his mother. He takes this opportunity to humiliate Ying Luo and Ming Yu, but is stopped by Fu Hong, and Prince He leaves. Ying Luo hastily turns to leave as well, but not before Fu Hong tells her that he spoke to the emperor to treat her better in the future. And that night, the emperor, after thinking about Fu Hong's words, makes a surprise and stealthy visit to Yan Xigong. He personally sees with his own eyes the destitute living situation that Ying Luo is currently subjected to. She has no servants left and her rooms are extremely cold. 
She has been tasked to embroider more Buddhist texts for the Empress Dowager and is doing so by dim candlelight with only Mingyu to accompany her. But what is important as well to note is that Yingluo has more light or coal and medicine from Fuheng, but she purposely put those away to put on this little show for none other than the emperor. This scene to me, though, was so funny because the emperor and Li Yu are literally like sneaking into Yan Xigong and avoiding the light. They're like crouched under the uh, windows. This or that particular scene reminded me of this ABC show Gallivant, where at the end of the season or the first season, the king and Gallivant are drunkenly trying to sneak around the castle. The two of them are singing a song that goes something like, secret, secret, hush, hush, hush. I burst out laughing at this particular scene in uh, the story of Yancy Palace because I was like, yeah, you have the emperor and his eunuch just like sneaking around. <laughs> Anyways, the emperor, upon returning to his room, is flustered by what he saw and tells Li Yu that, you know what? It's too hot in here. Get rid of this coal that he has. And so he tells Li Yu to bring his coal and one of his lamps to Ying Luo, but make sure that she doesn't know it's from him. He's just being stubborn in his care for her, but he's clearly upset that she's living in such a poor state. And wouldn't you know it, the next day, everything that the interior household department has been neglecting to give, Ying Luo suddenly appears, and even the head of the interior household department personally comes to apologize to Ying Luo. She now has food, clothing, and coal to help her get through the winter. While the completed embroidered Buddhist text is presented to Chun Guifei, who is begrudgingly quite impressed with Ying Luo's skills. She is none the wiser that her attempt to humiliate Ying Luo was the opportunity Ying Luo needed to reconnect with the emperor. And indeed, one night, the emperor was severely agitated with his work duties and also annoyed that Ying Luo has still not come to thank him yet for his gifts, only for Ying Luo to sneak into his quarters dressed as a eunuch. Uh, not a eunuch, a um, guard. Well, her little joke does indeed ease his stress and the two of them are able to move past the rumors and Ying Luo even gets the emperor to apologize to her for his treatment over the past few months. The emperor even agrees that no one will bully Ying Luo ever again. Ying Luo has now fully recovered the emperor's favor. And actually, I would say, earned even more of his heart. We are now in episode 48, and Fu Hung is celebrating in his home with a few drinks. His maid, the beautiful Qing Lian, asks why he's so happy, and he in turn tells her about how he was helpful in Ying Luo's plan. Apparently, and this is something that Fu Hong figured out, is that everything Ying Luo has done in the last few episodes, including being cold shouldered by the emperor, were all part of her plan to further instigate the emperor's feelings for her. Fu Hong guessed that Ying Luo was using him the moment she called him back in Changchun Gong for the emperor to see them together. I mean, it's pretty obvious because Ying Luo could have told him to leave. Why call him back and have him there for people to walk in on them? And now, guess what? She's back on top and stronger than ever. I find something very interesting in that both Fu Hung and Chun Guifei in episode 47 uttered the lines of Ren Chang Ren Bu Ke Ren, Cai Neng De Chang Ren Bu Ke De, 
which means being able to endure what most people cannot endure to obtain what others cannot obtain. In this case, this is the emperor's heart. Qing Lian leaves and is seen by Er Qing, who instantly becomes jealous once again that even without Ying Luo, Fu Hong has this maid to talk to and not her. Back at the palace, the emperor is thoroughly enjoying time together with Ying Luo. The emperor teaches Ying Luo to paint, and she is entirely a jokester in front of him. I would say she's very good at Sa Jiao Ying, which I don't think is a good English translation, but you could say she's good at being a cute, flirty person to grab the emperor's attention. And she's also very good at teasing him because she uh, joked about how the emperor loved stamping paintings with his myriad of stamps and is not afraid to call him out as uncultured. But instead of being too upset, he is happy with her presence. Please note that in this episode, the emperor and Yingluo are painting orchids, which we've discussed are mainly the flowers that represent Chun Guifei. She gives off the vibe of being upright and kind of noble. Here, though, Wei Yingluo says, I'm going to be that mantis that teases the orchid leaves. I would say in this episode, that's pretty heavy foreshadowing of what will happen to Chun Guifei. Well, the rest of the ladies in the palace are extremely displeased with the full attention that the emperor has given Ying Luo, none more so than Chun Guifei. The one night that she was able to secure the emperor's presence in her palace, well, the emperor is distracted by a beautiful sound coming from outside. The emperor immediately is whisked away by the interesting sound leaving Chun Guifei alone once again. That is to say, Ying Luo has many tricks up her sleeves to capture the interest of the emperor. The person that is most enjoying the turn of events is none other than the new empress. She knows that Ling Pin is pushing everyone's buttons, but since this Ling Pin is not impacting her status as empress for now, she is happy to watch the show. At one morning's court greeting, the other ladies are all complaining about Ying Luo. All except Qing Guiren. Surprisingly, Chun Guifei doesn't let her anger and jealousy show and instead turns to proper imperial harem matters for the empress to consider. The empress praises Chun Guifei's composure, but then smirks at Chun Guifei's clenched hands as a maid arrives announcing the decree that Ying Luo has now been promoted to Ling Fei or Consort Ling. We'll leave the episode recap here and head on to discuss history for these episodes and leave the last few minutes of this episode for the next podcast episode. So there was actually not a ton of history in episode 47, so we're going to focus most of the discussion today on episode 48. We're going to briefly talk about Zhang Tingyu. The Emperor Qianlong is seen to be very angry with him at the end of episode 47 for daring to request to have his plaque placed in the Imperial Ancestral Temple, or Tai Miao. It is recorded that in 1749, Zhang Tingyu, who was requesting retirement, deeply annoyed the emperor for requesting the privilege of having his plaque placed in Tai Miao. It was basically a threat because he said, hey, your father promised this to me, are you going to honor this or not? The emperor begrudgingly agreed, but Zhang Tingyu didn't personally go to thank the emperor which pissed him off even more. 
The next day, Zhang Tingyu hurriedly came to personally thank Qianlong, but by this point, Qianlong believed that there was a rat who told Zhang Tingyu of his anger. So after that, Zhang Tingyu basically was stripped of his title and this privileged plaque uh, in the imperial ancestral temple. Long story short, Zhang Tingyu pissed off the emperor, and it was only after he died in 1755, Zhang Tingyu that is, at the ripe old age of 84, did Qianlong finally agree to have his plaque installed in the ancestral temple. I think there will be a line on this in the drama later on. Well, next, we're going to move on to episode 48. And the first phrase that I want to discuss is a phrase called Fu Yi Da Bai. And this is when Fu Hung is by himself and he drinks, you know, a glass of rice wine. Fu Yi Da Bai, as a phrase, if you don't know what's going on, like nothing in that phrase tells you that I'm drinking a glass. Yeah, I didn't know that this was a historical anecdote. Mm-hmm. This saying actually comes from Shuoyuan, or Garden of Stories, which is a collection of stories and anecdotes from the pre-Qin period to the Western Han Dynasty, and was compiled and annotated by the scholar Liu Xiang in around 17 BC. There were originally 20 scrolls, but we only have five surviving. It was recompiled in the Song Dynasty to around 20 chapters, or 20 scrolls again. So, what does fu yi da bai mean, or where does it come from? In the text, it says, Wei wen hou yu da fu yin xiu, shi gong cheng bu ren wei shang zheng, yue yin bu jiao zhe fu yi da bai. So, this translates to, the Duke Wen of Wei was drinking with his courtiers. He has one of his ministers, gong cheng bu ren, act as judge. If anyone didn't finish drinking his cup, then they needed to be punished with another drink. Well, the duke didn't finish his drink, and Gong Cheng Buren indeed said, Hey duke, you need to drink another. So the phrase Fu Yi Da Bai actually means to punish another with a drink. Huh, very interesting. I have never heard this before. So maybe Fu Hung is over here punishing himself uh, with a drink, or just saying, like, I need to celebrate with a drink. Next... In episode 48, Wei Ying Luo and the emperor have finally reconciled, and Wei Ying Luo makes a big ding at the emperor for all of his seals, especially what he stamped on the Tue Hua Tiu Se Tu, or the autumn colors of Tue and Hua Mountains. I commented when we discussed this in episode 44 on how there's like over a hundred stamps of seals on the painting and how Emperor Qianlong loved to stamp things. And I find it hilarious that Wei Yingluo calls him out on it in this particular episode. In the drama, she counts uh, the number of stamps on this painting and says there are over 40. I will note the YouTube English translations says 14. So I was like, no, 40 plus, not 14. And it sounds like there's actually more than 100 seals or stamps on the actual painting. Well, so why do I call this out? Because history buffs nowadays call Emperor Qianlong Zhang Zong or seal director because this emperor just loved to collect yin zhang or seals to stamp things. I was watching a couple videos and people kept like in the comments saying like Zhang Zong, Zhang Zong. I'm like, who the heck is Zhang Zong? And then they're like, oh, it's Emperor Qianlong. And I'm like, oh, gotcha. I'm reading a funny article 
in which the author just straight up roasts Emperor Tianlong on this particular hobby. So much so that <laughs> the article calls him the seal monster. Let me tell you guys why. Well, Emperor Tianlong loved to collect seals. And for him, though, it was most likely to show like, look, I'm a scholarly intellectual. I know how to read. I'm a great poet. Just look at me. Unfortunately, the main target for his seals, uh, priceless paintings and writings. As the emperor, he could and did collect paintings and writings for his royal collection. Once he had them in his possession, he would stamp his seal, or many seals, on the paintings to show ownership. The funniest thing, though, is that he loved to put a seal on the most obvious places of the painting. Sometimes, this red seal basically destroys the integrity of the painting. The author of this article was not at all subtle for his dismissal of Emperor Tianlong's actions with regards to his seals and his destruction of the original works. I mean, look at the Tuehua Tiosho Tu, that painting, and the sheer number of red seals stamped on the painting that was shown during the scene. Just pause it and you'll see like red dots everywhere on it. <laughs> However, did you notice the number of seals he had on his table? In that scene, it's at least like six. Yep, he loved his seals. So much so that there's a compilation of Emperor Tianlong's artifacts and just with seals, they recorded over 1,000 seals in his collection. So yeah, this is why they call Emperor Tianlong Zhangzong or the seal director instead of like Emperor Tianlong. There was one other item on his desk when he was painting with Ying Luo, and that is the Wu Jin Yan. This is the ink stone or Yan, uh, which is what the Chinese use for calligraphy and painting, and here what Ying Luo swiped away. This particular Wu Jin Yan is a rare ink stone from the Hebei province near the Mei Mountain. As Emperor Tianlong said in the drama, this ink stone is extremely rare. I read in a post that people basically have never seen it in modern times. There's a compendium that was published in 1943 that describes Wu Jinyan, but the entry basically just stresses that this particular inkstone is extremely rare and has not been seen. So for Ying Luo to just be gifted this inkstone means that the emperor really adores her. Now, this entire scene where Ying Luo is playfully teasing the emperor and the emperor is fully enjoying it is overseen by Li Yu and his uh, servant or his disciple. Both of them are shocked at the behavior of Ying Luo because pretty much anyone else behaving this way in front of the emperor would have meant a death sentence. And here, Li Yu uses a phrase of calling Ying Luo qipa, this is a phrase that I think everyone should pay attention to because I thought that that was an anachronism because qipa is a word that is used a lot now uh, in modern day lingo or modern slang. Colloquially, it means to describe someone or something that is outright weird. However, apparently the term qipa has appeared in the written form since the Han Dynasty. And this is surprising to me because pretty much no Chinese textbook will have the words tipa in there as vocabulary for you to learn. But like I said, it appeared in written form since the Han Dynasty. And this includes being written about by the famed Han Dynasty poet, 
Sima Xiangru in his rhapsody The Beauty or Mayanfu, he has the phrase Qipa Yi Li Shu Zhi Yan Guang, or an exquisite woman who is elegant and graceful and dazzling. This, of course, means that Qipa typically refers to a woman. It means a rare and peculiar beautiful flower. Typically, it describes a very unique piece of art or writing or else an interesting person. It is used to describe a person or item that is unconventional and full of personality, which basically describes Ying Luo to a T. Next up, we have Shui Xianzi, Yu Zhi Yuan. This is the poem or folk song that is found on the kite that Emperor Qianlong picked up, but was written by Wei Ying Luo. The original was written sometime around the Yuan Dynasty, so around the 13th or 14th century. Here's my translation. The threads control all of the movements of the kite. Where it moves, I control. There's nothing to hold this kite back. A strong wind blows it away, breaking the thread. It flies to the end of the earth. I can't retrieve it, and it's lost to the wind. Who knows where it has landed? On the surface, this poem is about a kite. But it actually is about longing for someone. The kite itself represents marriage, or the thread to the kite represents marriage. There's another folk saying in Chinese, 千里姻缘一线牵, or a thousand-mile marriage is connected by a thread. So the kite or marriage is connected by a thread. If it breaks, so does the marriage. I'm reading on Baidu for kind of like what this means, and there's like a couple other... Uh, interpretations, but here is one interpretation. The kite here is a woman, perhaps even a prostitute who no longer is in that line of business. Well, a man falls in love with her and they become betrothed. The man is very confident in the marriage and doesn't grab on to the relationship. However, the kite or woman, seemingly with no strings attached, instead turns her attention to another and leaves without a trace. The string is broken. He, the original man, is heartbroken. Unable to move on, he wonders what happened to her. So, regardless if the story really refers to a woman uh, that was a prostitute, the story is indeed about a man who lost his marriage. This is actually an interesting song or poem to feature in the drama because here the roles are reversed. Wei Yingluo is the man flying the kite, and the emperor here is that kite. In writing this poem on the kite, she is confessing to the emperor that she is uncertain about his feelings towards her. She can also feel lost and heartbroken if the emperor decides to turn around and abandon her like he has done already. The emperor here, as you can see in the scene, immediately understood this, which is why he was so happy upon seeing the kite. He finally gets some sort of indication of Wei Yingluo's feelings. And I think this is really important to kind of describe or explain what the poem means because the emperor like doesn't tell Li Yu and just kind of happily goes and ditches Chun Guifei instead. But this is because Wei Yingluo finally in some fashion does kind of 
confess that I am thinking of you. And a couple of last pieces of history. When the ladies are greeting the empress or complaining all about Wei Yingluo, two country names were listed in kind of the discourse. One is An Nan, which used to be the name of Vietnam, and one is, of course, Uguo, which is Russia. These two countries, if we're thinking about in the 18th century, did indeed have a lot of trade with the Qing dynasty. So it's not surprising that these two names are referenced or these two countries are referenced by the ladies of the imperial harem. And finally, we now have a new consort, Consort Ling. In history, Ling Fei was promoted to consort in the fifth month of 1748 and had the official ceremony in the fourth month of the following year. This means that she was roughly promoted two and a half years after her promotion to imperial concubine. And if you'll recall, that promotion was extremely fast as well. Basically, she got promoted from Ling Guiren, or sorry, Wei Guiren to Lingpin in like a span of like the same year. But now we finally have the Lingfei that everyone knows. And she now occupies one of the four Fei Wei or four concert positions in the Imperial Harem. And that is it for today's podcast episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Friendly reminder that if you are looking for sites to watch Chinese dramas and you are in the U.S., please head on over to our sponsor, Jubao TV, that is J-U-B-A-O TV, for free Chinese dramas and movies to watch. They also all have English subtitles. Jubao TV has also just launched on Plex, which you can stream online or watch on television. Again, all of this is for free. Thanks again so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next podcast episode.